And now, live, it's time. Har will go back into the gun. Jacobs cuts middle, walks in. Jackpot, baby. Josh Jacobs, touchdown. It's time for the JT the Brick Show. We have a good team. We have a good team that competes with uh, Suffolk all the time. On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. We don't feel like effort's been an issue at all. Gets the handoff, bust toward the end of Jackpot, baby. Pinion Drake takes it home. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Welcome into the show, JT, as we get going. Final show of the week as I am at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center here at the Raider facility on a Friday as we get you ready for the Raiders at the Kansas City Chiefs. That is early Sunday morning. We'll be on the pregame show at the M Resort Spawn Casino. 8 a.m. broadcast take you into kickoff. So if you got plans or not, break them. Come see us down at the M. It's a great place to watch the game. The show is brought to you today, as always, in the monologue by PTs. The best happy hour in town. I got one of my best friends coming in this week from San Diego. We will pop into a PTs and have a beverage and catch up. The SG Bar at the top of the 215 in Flamingo. Kind of the exit to the JT the Brick Gateway in Summerlin. That's where I'll be later on today. Going to Journey tonight and some big events here over the weekend. Lavo Brunch, thanks to Remy Martin. So I'm getting all my partner plugs in here before I open up the show and we get you to my conversation with the head coach, Rich Passaccia, coming up here momentarily. Uh, Last night, as you know, I say this from time to time, I do a sports talk show at night for three hours, Sunday to Thursday night on Sirius XM, 82 Mad Dog Sports Radio. And I was on the show last night when the news broke about the death of a great football player who passed away way too young. And whenever a story like that breaks and I happen to be on the air, which has happened throughout my 25-year career, it is tough because we had to wait for confirmation. I made a couple of text messages out to friends in Denver, and then it was confirmed that former star receiver Demarius Thomas died at the age of 33 at his home in Georgia. Uh, There was a lot of news overnight. You probably heard it this morning if you were listening on other shows. He was a star player at Georgia Tech, was drafted by the Broncos in the first round. In 2010, became a key player on the team for years, going on to score 60 touchdowns and complete 9,055 yards for the team. He played in 125 games and is just uh, one of four players in the history to complete, listen to this, 80 catches, 1,200 yards, in at least and, and at least five touchdowns in four consecutive seasons. He went on to play in the Pro Bowl from 2012 to 14 and 2016. He played in two Super Bowls for the Broncos before he was traded to Houston midway through the 2018 season. I just wanted to mention this on Raider Nation Radio. A lot of Bronco fans and football fans are hurting today that this young man died at the age of 33. I saw him play in Oakland several times, and he was a flat-out baller. A couple of games, I went back and looked at stats. He had to be double teamed. He made big plays, touchdowns in the black hole, in the north end zone, in the south end zone. He was someone that put fear into defenders. He was a hell of a player. So I thought it was very important today that we mention him and say rest in peace because I got a chance to see him play live multiple times. And he was a beautiful human being, respected by so many players, a massive loss for the NFL and a lot of players who played against him over the years, including several players on this Raider roster, Demarius Thomas, dead at the age of 33. Please, Godspeed to his family and privacy as they explore what happened to him. 
All right, let's move on and talk about this game coming up here. Uh, being in the building today, everybody's worked up. This is a big game. You know, you look at a travel day to get out to Denver to acclimate yourself with the cold weather. The weather looks okay out there. It's not going to be super cold. Uh, wind could be a little bit of an issue at some point during the game, but the Raiders are aware of that. And the Raiders are going to have to start fast. As I said yesterday, seven out of the 12 games, the opposing team has scored first. That's got to stop. And the Raiders have been outscored 141 to 114 going into halftime in the first 13 weeks. So for whatever reason, this team has not started fast. We know it. We've talked about it at length. And it's got to change. And I think for a good week of practice, the team's got to figure out what their best plays are and open up with the scripted. 10 or 15 plays that Derek Carr cannot all audible out of. That's my key. That's what I wanted to get in today. I hope that Derek goes off a script in the first quarter or the first series or two, and he's able to be crisp. He's running plays that he's familiar with. You know, the theme of the week for me is we talked to Rich Gannon about it, and you're going to hear that interview again because it was brilliant, and it was all rich. That was one of the best interviews that we've done this year. We're going to play that a little bit later on in the hour again for those who missed it. This team is ready to play up-tempo. As Gannon will say, they are built to play up-tempo. Why aren't they doing it? They returned to Arrowhead. Week five of last year, the Raiders went into Arrowhead and beat the Chiefs 40-32. to Carr in that game was magnificent. 347 yards and three touchdowns. He's going to have to do something similar. He's 6-0 and when he throws for over 300 yards. You know that. Uh, There was not a hostile environment there last year. There will be one here now. And this is a division game that will reel Kansas City right back as Kansas City is a a nine-and-a-half-point favorite depending on where you're shopping. So this is a do-or-die game. And last year, you know, the Raiders got off to that good start with 6-3, and including the win at Arrowhead. This year, the 3-0 and start, the 5-2 and start, they can find their mojo back in Arrowhead, but it's a very tough place to play. The injuries are serious. They are getting some guys back. We'll talk to Coach about some of them. But with Kenyon Drake and Alec Engel gone for the year, Nick Witkowski on IR, along with McCoy and Denzel Good and Nicholas Morrow and Richie Incognito, and we wait for the status of Darren Waller. Obviously, going into the game, we had Darren on yesterday. Really proud of that interview and what he had to say. And we're excited that they got some new rookies involved. Malcolm Kuntz, Divine Diablos, played a lot on special teams, got a chance to play. Diablo saw his most action of the year this past Sunday and had the second most tackles on the team. I want to see him again. And Kuntz got his first NFL sack. And I remember talking to Mike Mayock after that draft pick and how excited he was. Well, now he's coming in and he's playing and hopefully he could play a big game in this one. And, you know, we spent a little bit of time on Monday, the aftermath going back and looking uh, back at the Washington football team loss. They were outplayed in that game, but they could have won it if Trayvon Merrick was able to hold on to that interception that hit him in the hands. If they had more time on the clock, if they played more with the sense of urgency, if they attacked the red zone more, if they got uh, Taylor Heineke to the ground. I mean, we beat that game into the ground, and it was a blown opportunity for the Raiders. If they won that game, and lost this game with Kansas City, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. But losing to Washington along with Chicago and the New York Giants at MetLife really put a lot of pressure on the Raiders heading into that game. And I talked to a Raider fan yesterday who made a good point to me. I wanted to share it here. 
in the opening monologue. The Raiders haven't played with much pressure this year. They played through a lot of adversity. The John Gruden resignation, the Henry Ruggs fatality car accident, all of that was a ton of adversity, but not pressure on the team to win or lose. You know, there's tension to win, but this game's now a pressure-packed game. And Washington technically was too, and the Raiders did not play a good game. So a lot of Raider fans want to know how this team plays with their back up against the wall, and officially their back is really up against the wall Sunday at Arrowhead. So for any Raider fan who's making that road trip, any Raider fan excited that wants to get behind this team, we appreciate it this week. We had a big week with everybody going in and showing support for this team. A lot of frustrated fans on Monday, very optimistic on our Thursday show yesterday, and a quick show here on Friday as I'm at the facility about to tape. We record the show, the Silver and Black show that airs on Saturday coming up tomorrow, so I hope you don't miss that. Every week I come into this building and sit down with the head coach. It's an honor to talk to Rich Passaccia. Here's our conversation for this week. All right, Coach, let's begin in general with injuries. We'll find out who's active on Sunday, but what's it been like for you this year during the week, finding out who's ready, talking to the trainers and doctors, and trying to find out who the next man up's going to be? Yeah, certainly Chris does a great job for us, Cortez. We we have a great staff down there in the training room, and and they've had their hands full, you know, all year, certainly going all the way back to training camp when Richie got banged up. But they do a great job of letting us know early in the week as they possibly can of who would be week to week, who would be day to day, who we think will going to have by the end of the week for this or each in particular game so um, it's been trying at times but they do a great job of kind of keeping their thumb on who we're going to have for each particular game let's talk about Koontz and Diablo they were next man up they got an opportunity to play can you touch on their development all year from the preseason to getting their opportunities and how they performed yeah well first of all Devine you know Devine's actually played every special teams play in all the games this year he's done really well he's been the right tackle on punt team that's the to the foot side, so that's a big deal as well. And um, now Malcolm had a chance to dress because of some injuries that we did have and came in and we thought played really well, gave us some good spark off the edge, got a big sack, and then rushed, did a really nice job rushing off the edge um, on punt return. So we'll see what happens this week, but we expect to have both of them playing. Now you spent a lot of time earlier in the week talking about the point of emphasis of starting early. This has been a topic for several weeks. How has the discussion changed about starting fast? We've seen the stats the first quarter. Last year in Kansas City, we'll get to that game. Everything came together, a quick start, and then the team gets rolling. Yeah, I think if you look at our victories so far this year, we've started fast in the victories that we've had. If you look even at the Cincinnati game when we didn't end up winning the game, but we started fast. We got a turnover on defense. We had the ball to the nine-yard line. We would have loved to come out there with a touchdown. We came out with a field goal. So I think for the most part, um, we'd like to defer. We'd like to play a little bit of defense first. We'd love to get off on the first set of defense, and we'd love to score in our first possession. That's what we're all looking, trying, trying to do as we go through practice, as we go through the beginning of practice, and then we'd like to finish even faster if we can. Even though there's new personnel, how much do you go back and look at that game last year at Arrowhead and see what works? A lot of Kansas City's personnel, the coaching staff being there, or do you look at tape from this year, what happened in Las Vegas when Kansas City was here earlier? Yeah, I think all of the above, right? We, we've gone against, I think this is going to be our eighth game now since we've been here in four years going against Coach Reed and and uh, we used to go against him a lot of times when he was over in Philly, and we were in Tampa. And then Gus has done the same thing. He was with the Chargers. They get to go against them twice a year. So I think we're looking at all the tape that we've played against them in the past, and we're certainly looking up the last four weeks, last five weeks, what's gone on. We've played against them one time in that time. So we'll, uh, they, they still have the same quarterback, and they still got Tyreek yeah. Hill, and they still have the same tight end, and see if we can find them. That's the segue into the tight end and Tyreek Hill, and especially Kelsey. 
to see what happened in the last game. And again, it's a point of emphasis on those two. Williams had a good game in Las Vegas. So they have a three-headed monster that at times can get out to four or five if their outside receivers are making plays because those two great players are double teamed. Yeah, again, I think the last time we had this conversation for Kansas City, we're all talking about Kansas City seems to be down. They don't seem to be playing very good on offense. You know, and I, I think I called them magical, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And I think they still are. And certainly they came in here and to some degree had their way with us a little bit and, and uh, certainly found Kelsey uh, as many times as they did. And, and so we'll have to do a better job, not only in that particular area with their receivers and their tight end, but, you know, we gave up the punt fake as well going in late in the red zone. And we just have to play better in all areas. What's interesting about those two, and obviously there are other great players, is do you want to play them over the top, conservative at times with two safeties high and just keep them in front of you? Or do you want to put your hands on them and get physical? That's the question Raider fans have been asking in this rivalry forever because they can haunt you both ways. If you play them deep, Mahomes showed in the last game he can go underneath. And if you put your hands on them, they can get away off the point of attack and make a big play. Yeah, again, you're playing coaching defense for us a little bit. So we uh, we did it all in the last game. Right. We played some bracket coverages. We tried to double Kelsey Summon. We tried to put two on Tyreek at times as well. And, and Gus has had success you know, against this offense in the past. And you're not going to stop them. We'd like to limit them the best we possibly can. And we have to do our part as well in the kicking game to get some field position. And then we have to sustain some drives. We have to play better on third down on offense, as well as try to get ourselves off the field on defense. With the Drake injury and Ingo being out here, Josh is back there now. And obviously you have complimentary players, but it's December football. And you have a featured back, a former first round pick who can really step it up in these remaining games, quiet the crowd, move the chains on third down. Yeah. Again, quiet the crowd is going to be a team job, yeah. you know, for all of us. And, and Josh, we think has carried the load. He's done a good job and some of the, the run game for him maybe not been as clean as we'd like and he ends up finding a way to make a play as well. So we're always going to count on Josh to do his part but it's certainly going to take a total team effort here and go to Kansas City. And tell me about Carlson and Cole and the contract extensions. You've had your hands in their development. How proud are you as a mentor and a coach when you see two of your guys get contracts, rewarded, take care of their families, and you help develop them. How proud is that for you? Well, I think a lot of the praise goes to Byron Storer as well. And it, we, we've been real fortunate to keep this battery together. The three of those guys with Trent involved is, is, is a great battery. They have a tremendous work ethic. Um, they don't seem to ever tire. They've really worked at their craft. So I think the credit really goes to them and their work ethic. And certainly Byron deserves a lot of credit. Coach, last one from the two seed in the AFC to the 12 seed separated by two games. You've been in this league a long time. Talk about how wide open this is if you have six or seven wins and you're still in the hunt. I think the exciting thing for a lot of teams, as well as us, is to be in December and to be in the middle of you know having a chance to get into the tournament, and that's why we all come to do this every day at work. Good luck in Kansas City. Coach. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. So, interesting time with the coach. As we said about Carlson and Cole, when I asked him that question, he really lit up. He was excited about that. He really has a handprint on those deals for both those players, helping him get there. But again, coach won't take any of the credit. He gives it to his assistant and the players. He's a very humble guy. We'll find out more about Waller. He wants to start fast again. And this is a game that it's very important for the future of Rich Passaccia, the quarterback, Derek Carr, the coordinators. Hey, everybody knows what's at stake here, including the head coach who will have this team ready to go. They practice well. They travel well. They, they do great things in the community. Now they got to win a game with their back up against the wall. I have confidence. I know you Raider fans have confidence, but it is tough uphill sledding here in the month of December, and hopefully the Raiders are able to pull it off. 
Want to thank all of our partners as we continue today, especially Sam and Ash, who are helping you follow Sam and Ash on Twitter and giving you an opportunity to go to gold the Knights games, Silver Knights games, Sam and Ash, InjuryLaw.com, seven days a week, 702-820-1234, because you deserve what's right. Uh, coming up next, Scott Pioli will join us. He knows this rivalry. He was a multiple NFL executive of the year, a three-time Super Bowl champ as an executive for the New England Patriots. And we got a little bit of a backstory. We're kind of from the same area, roughly around the same age. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. Scott Pioli joins us. He was a big part of the rivalry with Kansas City. He's now with NFL Network. We'll talk to him next. JT from the Raiders facility as we kick it off on a Friday. This is Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. back, JT, with you on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM, right here at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center inside the Raiders facility on a Friday quick show. Thanks to Q and the whole team for picking up this other hour. Quick reminder for me, Monday, I'm at Doghouse Saloon inside Resorts World, uh, my final Monday night football appearance. We've been there once a month, all year long. I'm thrilled to add Resorts World to our partnership here. I spent a lot of time there. Their new Cigar Bar 8 is a place to go. Uh, my best friend who's coming in uh, this week and is staying at Resorts World. We got them all connected there, and he can't wait to see it. Resorts World, if you haven't been there, we're telling all the locals to come on out and enjoy a great time. It'll take you three or four times to figure out how great it is. It's so amazing. I'm telling you, go to Resorts World, check out all their restaurants and venues, especially Doghouse, where I'll be on Monday for Monday Night Football. Thrilled to welcome Scott Pioli, to the show, the former really elite executive, a three-time Super Bowl champion, and also a multiple NFL Executive of the Year winner. He joins us on Friday on Raider Nation Radio. Scott, I really appreciate you doing it, and I see we got some New York connections, some lower state New York connections. Good to talk to you. How you been, Scott? JT, thanks so much for having me. It's truly a, it's a pleasure and an honor. Yeah, I loved it. New York connections, and... Uh, we, we won't give, you know, I'm a scout by nature, so I had to check you out a little bit more. I always knew who you were as the media guy, but, you know, JT, I had to dig a little bit deeper and found out about Massapequa and Geneseo, but I won't get into the rest, man. Appreciate yeah. you having me on. Thanks. Well, you know, you know, Scott, the only difference is, and you've moved around a bit and had such a great career. When I got out of Geneseo after four years, I became a stockbroker, and after that run, I went out west, and I, I wanted to get the weather from San Diego all the way to L.A. I lived in L.A. for 10 years, and now I'm in Vegas. And a good way to start this, because we got a lot of games I want to preview with you. Did you ever think you'd yeah. be previewing the Kansas City Chiefs in and the Las Vegas Raiders in a, in a, in a big divisional battle now that the Vegas uh, Raiders are alive and well? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, I, I, I got to tell you, though, my time spent in Kansas City as a, as a GM and those four years and those trips out to the Coliseum in Oakland, I still, I'm still trying to get my head around the whole Las Vegas thing, but um, the Raiders are the Raiders. The silver is just a little bit 
shinier now, not as gritty as it was in Oakland. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I'll, I'll stay with that game as it's coming up as Kansas City really has an opportunity here to keep the streak mm-hmm. alive. Scott, when you look at the tape, other than the game that Mahomes played in Vegas where he had a 127 rating, four out of those five wins have been so – I, I, want, I don't want to say unimpressive because he's such a great player, but the rating is down. He's had two games where he's thrown no touchdowns with an interception. How is Kansas City managing these wins with their offense being pedestrian for almost two months? You know, JT, here's the thing. is They are still an extremely talented team. They've got one of the best and at some weekends the best quarterback in the National Football League, but they are filled with talent on that offense. And when you're a team that's getting ready to play the Chiefs, you still have to account for the number one person that you have to account for is Patrick Mahomes. And I understand Tyreek Hill and Kelsey, and they've got so many other weapons. And even though football's an interesting, interesting game in the sense that sometimes when players play so well, their standard and expectations become unrealistic because of the standard that they've created. He is not playing bad football. He's playing good football. He's just not playing out of his mind, ungodly football. And it's good enough for their football team to win. So again, um, he hasn't played up to the Patrick Mahomes standard this year, but the standard he's playing at is still good enough to win and still good enough to win a championship. Scott Pioli is our guest. I've been dying to ask you this. So with all your years, Uh With the Patriots and Bill Belichick, how are you describing the Mac Jones two of three for 19 yards? Where does that stand historically in your mind with all the great coaches you've worked with, all the great owners, the teams, the quarterbacks? How are we going to put this in perspective, Scott, 10, 20 years from now, that performance on the road and a pretty convincing win? Yeah, JT, I got I wasn't surprised at all. And, and, and again, you know, Bill did a great job, and so did Josh McDaniels, and so did the rest of the offensive coaches. Oh, and by the way, so did Stephen Belichick and Gerard Mayo. I think it was an incredible job coaching in, in, in totality, and, and, and I understand the question. And, you know, there's so many people that have been up there together for, for a period of time that are smart and they knew what they were going to do. They've also got the players and part of what we built that program on beginning in 2000 was on selfless leadership and selfless players. So you not only had to have the coaching go right, right? And, and it's not just the head coach. Everyone else has to buy in. Josh has been with Bill, you know, except for those couple of years in St. Louis and in Denver for a long time. And everyone buys in. And more, most importantly, the players buy in. Because to me, with Bill, it's never been about a scheme or a system. It's been about what do we have to do to win the game this week, today, in the circumstances, in the conditions. Whatever we have to do to win the day, we are going to do what it takes to win the day, whether it's situational, whether it's the environment, whether it's on the road, whether it's home. And it's a mentality that um, – you know, again, it's not just about Bill. It was all of those that all of those that went there in 2000, along with Bill, created that culture, and it's a culture that has just perpetuated itself, and it's been self-perpetuating. That you realize if you're going to work there and you're going to stay there, it, it, it's not just it's not just mandatory by Bill. It's by everybody else who has their skin in the game as well. 
So to me, it's um, again, it was it wasn't a block. They did what they had to do to win the day in the conditions under those circumstances. Scott Pioli joins us. So, Scott, did you sense anything from a media perspective of the frustration of the Bills, Sean McDermott, a couple of their players in the post game because they knew they knew. Bill was going to want to run the ball, and Josh was going to set up the run. And, again, two of three, he was one of two deep into the third quarter. What did you see on tape on why the Bills couldn't stop the penetration and the run at the point of attack? They knew it was coming. Yeah, JT, here's what I'll say. I I think some of the frustration that we saw from Sean and from the players, I, I completely understand. That was a big game. There was a lot of emotion put into that and not enough time between the end of the game and, and all of us, I think, when we're in a situation like they were in, we hear words with a different sensitivity level. And that doesn't mean that they are sensitive, a different sensitivity level. And we're looking through it a different prism. And there were some trigger questions that were asked. And, but, but going to the tape, I preface this by saying what I just said, because the Bills didn't play poorly. It's not like the and, – and, the Patriots played well. They ran the ball well. They didn't run the ball great. They ran well at the right time, and they controlled the ball. But that was not – you know, we have seen – again, I spent 27 years in the NFL and then a couple of years doing this. I have seen dominant running games and dominant run performances. I don't feel that they were consistently and entirely dominated the whole game. And I think that was part of the frustration to me. You know, the the flip side was not just what the Patriots' offense did; it's what the Bills' offense wasn't able to do. You know, on the flip side, they 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 have built their team purposefully with their quarterback. They said we are going to get this big, strong arm, cannon arm kid out of Wyoming because we want to be able to throw the ball in late November, December, and hopefully at home in January if we're that good to play home playoff games. And that's what they chose to do and they tried to do. When they tried to establish the running game, they, they weren't able to do it. So to me, you know, I think one of the bigger problems I saw, it, it wasn't like the Patriots running game was good. It wasn't absolutely dominant. And it was enough to win the day again for the Patriots. And, and, and I certainly understand Sean's frustration and Micah Hyde's frustration because, um, you know, that, that is one of the toughest parts of the job is have to go to go up in front of that while while it's still very raw emotion. I mean, JT, you've been in this forever. You, you've been in those rooms forever. You, you know, sometimes, man, that is tough, man. That is tough sledding. Absolutely. Scott Pioli. Scott, in the last few minutes, I wanted to talk about your life and your career from Washingtonville, New York, Central Connecticut, uh, the years at Syracuse, and then moving up the ladder. Who was your biggest mentor in football and your biggest mentor outside of football? You know, JT, it would be totally inaccurate and unfair to even put it to a group of one, two, or three because Uh I think at different stations in life, we all have people that touch us differently. I mean, growing up, I mean, it starts with my parents, right? And, and, and their toughness and their tough love and their work ethic and their work habits. But then, you know, along the way, my high school coach at Washington High School, Frank Green and, and Ray Ruckdeschel, um, those two guys influenced my life dramatically. And then my college position coach, Frank Leonard, 
uh, who, who coached in college forever and is also coached in the NFL, the impact he made on me. And then, you know, I met Bill while I was Bill Belichick when I was still in college, and Bill has had, you know had a profound uh, impact on me. And then when he hired me, still when I was a kid, uh, relatively speaking, in the coaching industry. And then you know Parcells and Dom Neely, who was the head of college scouting, uh, you know, at, at the Cleveland Browns when I was first hired there. I could go on and on. It's I think we all have mentors and people out there. And I know that I'm forgetting other people, and, uh-huh. and that bums me out. I mean, you know, along with some of the work I do, my third grade teacher, Miss Cooper, who was in a, had a profound impact on my life. As silly as that may sound, um, it's um, this life journey is we've all got mentors all around. Sure. We just have to decide who who we're going to let in and, and and give those people the respect by you know acting and behaving by the through the things that they've taught us. As an analyst now, last one, do you find you're breaking down film more or using contacts, making phone calls? I mean, your Rolodex is insane, Scott, with where you've been <laughs> in your life. Now, as you know, you're doing a podcast or a TV hit or trying to get up, you're not going to be a newsbreaker. You don't want to be one of those you know, no. newsbreakers like Schefter and Glazer. What, well, how are you evolving as a broadcaster or a media provider? What do you want to do next on that front? You know, it, it, that's a great question because – you know, the, the work that I'm doing, you're right, I, I don't do that other stuff because, A, I'm not good at it, they're better at it, and to me, you know, it just do your job. And my job mm-hmm. is about evaluating talent, evaluating players, evaluating coaches, not judging them, but evaluating them. Um, and, you know, so I spend a lot more time on tape than calls because, you know, in all my 27 years in the league, um and even my four years in college ball, you know, coaching before that, I was taught very early on um, that hard work is more important than network. And you need to work hard. So I continue to watch tape and do the things that I was trained to do more, also understanding how important the network can be if there's something I don't understand. I don't try to gather other people's information, use other people's information, um, in the work that I do, I, you know, I know I've been right in the past. I know I've been wrong in the past, and it's, that's the way it's going to continue to be. So if I'm going to be wrong, I want it to be on my watch, not because I took information from someone else. But I do use my network to, like, if, the, if, if I see pass protections that break down, I may call somebody with a team and say, hey, listen, help me out with what the protection was here. Why did this happen? And then this way I can speak a little bit more from an educated standpoint rather than speculate. Fantastic. Great conversation. We have a lot to catch up on down the road. I hope to see you in L.A. at the Super Bowl, if not before. And uh, let's do this more often. Scott, I'd really like to have more deep conversations with you, especially about what's happening in the league now. But your history in the league and the Hall of Famers you know and the other executives around the league, you're really sharp, and I'm happy we had this connection. Thank you, JT. You're too kind. I appreciate your brother and really appreciate this time. It's always good to be back with a homie. Really appreciate Scott coming on. Really good guy. And hopefully that interview, you know, we get him on more and more because his tree in football and who he's worked for and, you know, going through this, his Wikipedia and where he's been. And now he does really nice work as an analyst on NFL Network. We appreciate him checking in. He knows that rivalry from the tuck rule all the way to Kansas City and what Raider week is all about. So Scott Pioli, appreciate his time today. As we're brought to you by Modelo, as you know, the official cerveza 
of the Las Vegas Raiders if you're coming out to the game at the Raiders Tavern and Grill on Sunday. The front bar is the Modelo Bar. They serve them ice cold. You'll love it. We love Modelo. We thank them for being the official cerveza of the Las Vegas Raiders. When we come back, my conversation from Rich Gannon and the conversation we had earlier this week, which was incredible. If you didn't get a chance to hear it, Rich breaks down the game beautifully and I think points some light fingers around the players that have to step up in the most respected way possible. The former MVP, Rich Gannon, next as we continue on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. JT back on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Got to get into makeup here in a few minutes and get on the flight deck as I'm hosting the Silver and Black Show for Aaron Coscarelli this week alongside Lincoln Kennedy, who last week got inducted into the Pac-12 Hall of Fame. Rich Gannon, the former MVP quarterback, joined me earlier this week after the Washington football team beat the Raiders, and we analyzed the game and what Rich sees. I asked Rich what he saw looking at the tape as the Raiders took a step back. You know, JT, it's frustrating because... You know, I feel like you and I have had this conversation before just one too many times. It's like every time we get to this point in the season where we're hoping for consistency, we're hoping for a team to take off and go on a, a stretch where they win five of the last six, we just we take one step forward and we take two steps backwards. And, you know, you look at the Cowboy game and, you know, after coming off of some really difficult losses and, and, and uh, really at, at a, I, I thought a turning point, they go into Dallas on a short week, and they really play well, and they really stick it to them. And then you think, all right, well, maybe this is a turning point. And then you come back the following week, and you get, you know, you get extra days to prepare and to heal up, and you play Washington, and you can't, you can't close it out. You can't finish the deal. And just, just too much inconsistency, really, when you look at their overall body of work. I think that's, for a lot of Raider fans, is what's really frustrating. I, I, I get it on my radio show as well. He's, Raider fans are just going crazy. They just, they just want a, they want a team that they can just count on, that they can rely on week in and week out. And in fairness, as you look across the landscape of the NFL, there's not a lot of those teams out there this year. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. a lot of teams that you know. You look at you know Miami. They they win the first game, they lose seven straight. You know now they've lost, they've won five straight. And you know there's 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 a handful of teams that 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 got it going in the right direction, but too many teams have been kind of up and down. And I think the Raiders certainly fall into that category. Yeah, Rich, there's a problem at Allegiant Stadium in the losses, 20-9 to to the Bears. They lost at the Giants, only scored 16 points. The Bengal game in a loss at home, 13 points. And 15 against Washington, but they have a quarterback who's second in the league in passing yards. So now Raider fans are wondering, is there an option downfield now that Ruggs is obviously gone forever? They bring in Deshaun Jackson, and there seems to be a lot more passes underneath short of the sticks. So what are you seeing? Is it protection here? Does Derek not have the time, or does he have to make more plays outside the pocket? Gigi, let me, let me just give you my thumbnail sketch, and I've watched every game the Raiders have played this year. So uh, in years past, it's been a little bit challenging. I usually don't get, get caught up until later in the week. But, um, you know, I've watched all their games. I watched, the, obviously, the Dallas game from start to finish, the Washington game. So obviously, you know, not having Darren Waller affects everybody. And there's no question about that. Uh, the, the one 
player that's really stepped up is Hunter Renfro. You look at his production the last two games, and you'd expect that. But and I said last year, you know, going into this year, that, that Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards really need to take the next step in their development. And, you know, um, obviously the, with the Ruggs situation, um, that's no longer a part of the equation. But Brian Edwards, in my opinion, it needs to do more. It needs to be more action. It needs to be more production. It needs to be more consistency. There need to be more big plays there. That that hasn't happened. Uh, even I would say the same of, of Zay Jones, who has shown flashes. You know, I think that Sean Jackson at this point uh, is just a guy that you know can give you an explosive play. But I think you know you have to look at the number of reps, and I think you also have to look at who he is. He's not um, he's not the most physical guy. He's he's not going to do a lot for you in terms of the running game. So I think a lot's changed. I think the, the thing that I'm most disappointed about, I would tell you, aside from that issue in terms of the, the lack of development at that position, is the lack of production from Josh Jacobs. I just, to me, there's flashes. You know, I know he's, he was battling, battling some injuries there for a couple of weeks. I know there's been some issues and some changes with the line at times. But, like, I just don't, like, when you look at the lack of production there, and that's what I think is really shocking to me because – I think the guy is really a talented back, uh, whether it's an issue of them not you know, sticking to it and committing to it. Because I just feel like when he gets the opportunities and gets the carries uh, that he can really do some damage. But, you know, if, if you're using him and it's how you utilize him, I just I look at the lack of production this year. He's yet to rush for 100 yards. JT, just look at the numbers, 34 yeah. yards, 40 yards, 48 yards, 53 yards, 29 yards, 76 yards. 16 yards, 37 yards, 87 yards against the Cowboys, which was one of his best games, and then 52 yards. That's not enough from your lead back. It's just not enough production, and that affects everything that they do. It affects the play-action game. It affects the quarterback's ability to, uh, to, to do some things in the passing game. He has not been as uh, nearly as good in the passing game in terms of the screens and some of the, the checkdowns and those type of things. So that, to me, is, 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 is a big it's a big a part of the problem offensively as there is because that's something that I thought they could really kind of hang their hat on and it just simply hasn't happened this year for, for the Raiders. Rich Gannon, the former MVP. You know, Rich, you know better than anyone. I got to ask you what you think's going through Derek's mind right now. He lost his coach. He lost his top wide receiver. What do you think the impacts had on Derek and the depth here with this offensive line, it's not a great offensive line here. Fans want him to put the team on his back. You put the team on your back multiple times, but I think it's fair to say you played with a better roster than Derek did, and you elevated your game to an MVP level. What do you think Derek has to do here in the next couple of games to try to save the season for the Raiders? You're right. I think he has to take it, take it upon himself, and I think at some point you just you put your you put your your fist down on the table and you just demand, you know, things get done a certain way. I, I, I think the continuity with he and, and, and Greg Olson has been good. Uh, you got to give Derek a lot of credit. JT, as you point out, this is not an easy set of circumstances to be under. Not only did you lose your head coach, but you essentially lost a guy that is intimately involved in every part of a, an offensive game plan and the communication system and how you call plays and the history that they had together and, so that's, you know, it's different. You know, it, it, it forced Greg Olson to do some things differently, which, by the way, I, I think he's done a masterful job. I think it speaks volumes about the type of coach and play caller that he is and his background. But, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, it's not just on Derek, but I would say Derek, is, as the veteran and one of the leaders in that locker room, you, you have to have the conversation. You have to be able to sit down and say, guys, here's where we're at. 
Here's where we. Here's how we trail the Chiefs. This is Chiefs week, and if we can take care of business against the Chiefs, we get right back into this thing. We can, can control our destiny. But the, the the Raiders, JT, they have to finish. You have to finish late in games. You've got to be able to finish late in the season. And I don't. I don't really think it's a conditioning issue with this football team. I think it's a mindset. You have to have that mindset. That I don't care what happens. We're going to come away. We're going to go to Kansas City. We're going to come away with the win. That's what's going to happen. And some teams have the ability to do that. And I just, what's my concern is, is that the Raiders haven't shown the ability to do that the last couple of years. And are they going to be able to do it this year? That's what we're going to find out here the next five weeks. Wrapping it up with Rich Cannon. Rich, this is one of the most important questions I've ever asked you from a technical quarterback uh, question since I've met you in 1999. Why can't this team run up tempo? Where is the two-minute drill early? Why can't they come out in the first quarter? And why is Derek at the line of scrimmage so often changing the play? And here's the big one. The clock is ticking down the play clock. Five, four, three. These defenses are good. They're looking at, they're looking at Derek's helmet, and above it's a giant clock in the stadium that says he's got to snap it in two seconds. I am blown away that they can't play up-tempo or they refuse to. Now, that, is that something you can work on more in practice, or do, do you see it when you break the huddle and you say, we just can't go that way, we got to huddle, we got to take our time? JT, you can make the argument that there's not a quarterback and maybe an offense more prepared to go up-tempo and no huddle than the Raiders. I mean, think about what, what they've created there in terms of the one-word calls. And they're, they're, they, they have five different speeds with which they play at. just had this conversation uh, with Coach Gruden this, this past, this past offseason. And so they can go like lightning fast. They can go up-tempo. I mean, they've got all these different speeds. And at some point when you're struggling, you point out the lack of production, the lack of scoring, you know, why not go up-tempo? You've got a quarterback that's got – is highly intelligent. I mean, you think about what Derek Carr does. You can make the argument there's no quarterback in football that has as much freedom and flexibility to lie to scrimmage. But the, the ability to take control of the situation, to go up-tempo, and sometimes when you go up-tempo, you know, it, it really puts the pressure and the onus on the defensive coordinator. Now all of a sudden he's not able to make substitutions. Now all of a sudden he's not able to dial up all those exotic pressures and blitzes. I, I would like to see that as well because – you know, I think sometimes we try and be perfect. Sometimes there's a play call. I want to get the right personnel in the field. I want to get the right back with the right play. You know, I, I want to call this play because I want Josh Jacobs in there. I want to call this play because I want Kenyon Drake in there. You know, no longer obviously you no longer have Drake, but you know, so you're trying to make every forget it. Just 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 go up tempo. Jacobs can run it just as well as Drake. I mean, it doesn't have to be perfect. And and I think some of that is trying to get everything just to be perfect. And and I think part of it falls on Derek because he's a smart guy. Sometimes you can be too smart. Sometimes you're You've got this concept in your mind, and you're trying to get the perfect front and coverage. You know what I mean? Let's just go up-tempo. Let's get the ball in the perimeter. Let's get the ball in the hands of the playmakers. Let's get it to Jerry Rice and Tim Brown. Let them go make plays. I think that's got to be part of the mindset. It's not always about – I always say in a critical situation, it's never about plays. It's about players. Like if I'm Greg Olson, I'm like, I've got this back in Josh Jacobs. I'm going to wear him out here the next five weeks. The idea that he doesn't have 100 yards rushing this year is, is, is ridiculous. I'm going to go to the offensive line and say, guys, we're going to beat up on Kansas City. You want to keep Derek? You, you want to keep, uh, you want to keep uh, Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines? Let's run the football. Hey, look what the, look at the Patriots did the other night. And I get it. The, the weather was a, certainly a factor. The guy, they ran it 46 times. And, and what was the message? Like, okay, we're going to do whatever it takes to win. I think you've got to look at in critical situations and say, 
well, what do we got to do to get to, to win a game? Josh Jacobs has to be more of a factor. Okay, how can we how can we function without a healthy Darren Waller? Well, we got to do some different things with the tight end position, and Foster Moreau certainly can be a part of that. Well, Hunter Renfro's role has increased in the offense. We got to do more. We got to do more things to get him touches, but. We've also got to be able to utilize Zay Jones and Brian Edwards and Deshaun Jackson. How can we creatively get these guys touches and get them going in the offense? I think that's to me, is a big part of it. And I, I just, you know, that's where I'd start. You've got a quarterback that's really talented, really accurate. He needs a clean pocket. He's not going to be able to manufacture a lot of plays with his legs. But, you know, that's what I would do. I'd focus on, you know, don't worry so much about plays, but I'd focus on players. Get these guys some opportunities and some touches and see what they can do. MVP, Rich Gannon. Rich, last one, and I appreciate your time. What's once a Raider, always a Raider. You know Mark Davis. You know this organization well, going back to Al Davis. Where do you think the organization is right now as we're here getting into mid-December, knowing about some of these draft classes, the coaching situation, interim coach, what your role could be with a voice here? There's a lot of football left here for them to turn the season around, but – what is your concern about this roster going forward and the potential for big changes in the offseason if they don't turn it around? I think in fairness, you have to look at what happened this year. I mean, it's so unusual to basically lose your head coach uh, in the middle of the season. So, uh, you know, I, I would say that these next five weeks, there's a lot of teams out there, I'd say JT, I think the Vikings are one of them. You know, these next five weeks are critically important to a lot of people in the building. You know, if you're you're a quarterback and your team hasn't won, and you know these next five weeks, how you finish, you know, could determine whether or not, uh, you know, you're part of the, the plan moving forward. Same thing with coaching staffs, and I'm not talking in, in particular about the, the the Raiders, but in a way, you are. I mean, if it, if if it, if they they win they win four of the next five and they get into the postseason, and all of a sudden they they win a playoff game, all of a sudden you're saying. What an amazing job that Rich Bisacci and this coaching staff have done. And quite frankly, I like what I've seen from, from, from Rich and the staff. I think Greg Olson's done a terrific job. I, I think Gus Brown, he, the improvements we've seen defensively are significant. I mean, this team, was, this defense was really hard to watch a season ago. I think you look at some of the personnel changes that they've made on that side of the ball. I think you look at the impact that they've had. So I think there's some good things there when you look under the hood. And I think it's a bit premature. I think these next five weeks are critically important, not just for – for people on the Raiders in terms of players and coaches, but for a lot of people around the National Football League. Rich, have a great holiday season. Always value your time. The fans love hearing you on the flagship station. I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. Bro, you're the best. Thanks, pal. So that's it for this week on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. I want to thank again all of our partners. Appreciate everybody, especially Wahoo's Fish Taco, where I'll be this weekend, Eastern Second deck, got friends in town. We love to slide by there. Say hi to Todd and my boys over there. Appreciate the support they give us here. And what's bourbon whiskey? Yes, I've been texting back and forth with Charles heading into this game. So if you see me Sunday at M Resort Spawn Casino, you can get a Woodson bourbon whiskey there right at any of the bars there at M Resort. And it's always a great place. Looking forward to being there on Sunday. Bobby did a great job this week. Thanks, Bobby. Putting Fridays together as I'm over here in Henderson is always not a challenge, but tough for Bobby as he produced this whole show and got this hour together for us. Thanks to Q for coming in next. And thanks to the Raider Nation as we're ready for the Kansas City Chiefs. A do-or-die game. Raiders are a heavy underdog on the road. They've won there in the past. They have to win there again. 
That was the theme of this week. Play fast, play up-tempo, as Rich Cannon said. Go out there and play your best football game. The defense has got to fly around, catch some interceptions, and bring home a victory. And we'll talk about it Monday. I don't want to host another Aftermath Monday. I want a victory Monday. Thanks for listening on Friday, JT. Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM, the flagship.